Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Oh, gang, gang. I know. It's been like a month, but yeah, I promise we're going to see the other side of this death stream one of these days. We, it's coming. Yes, yeah. We are uh, we are fully zombifying now. Um, we're actually crystallizing, I think, is, is I'm what's I'm going into a right cocoon, here. and I will come out a different person. I'm, I'm Honestly, I feel like I would be more comfortable just breathing formaldehyde at this point. It might, it might so, make life easier. Yeah. Um, but in spite of that, we're doing it again. Doing it again. This is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And this week, we're going to start, as we do most weeks, with uh, some brief current events. Spoiler alert, this was this episode was recorded like three days after the last episode, so not not a whole lot has happened, but there has been one big uh, current event, at least on the home front, and David, oh, what is yeah. that? Uh, it's the Kellogg strike. Uh, the Kellogg's workers striking have won. They've won. They got all of their demands, and there is a contract agreed upon. Um, so the strike is over. Uh, the scabs are are kicked out. Um, I'm gonna guess Pop Tarts will probably have Kellogg slapped back on the box. Maybe they'll just <laughs> leave it that way. Um, but yeah, you know, worker power won. It was excellent. They got everything they wanted. Which it was is, fantastic, and this is another. This is in a series of these. Like, I mean, John Deere. We know that strike uh, early in the year had similar results. Yeah, well, I was going to say there's still currently a uh, trucker strike in Colorado. Yes, um, striking after for, the after the, the ridiculous verdict against yeah. uh, a trucker whose brakes failed and and yeah, up- his brakes failed, and then, so it should be on the company. I suddenly I need to remember his name. Hold on a second. I will dig his name up because we should be saying that, but. Basically, his brakes failed, and that's a company liability issue, and it killed four people. And they sentenced him to like a hundred and hundred was it one hundred and ten, one hundred and ten years in prison, something like that. Um, so hold on. And because of that, truckers are refusing to deliver to Colorado, and I think that or enter fantastic. Colorado, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rohel Aguilera Medeiros is his name. Okay, and uh, and so that that happened about. Um, hold on a second. So the sentence was a week ago. Um, and and because of that, like truckers are not entering Colorado, which okay. we've said this before. We said this a long time ago, right? Where people say this is a service economy. Uh, but because of our unique position in imperialism, and, and it's something that we're talking about in neocolonialism here, right, where the con- the economy is basically run, of course, you know, the, the uh, raw materials are taken out of places like Africa uh, to be manufactured uh, in the global north and sold back to Africa. But also, labor is outposted um, to other third world countries. Um, you know, a lot of this was a big thing that, that happened with, happened with China over the last several decades. And so because of that, um, and the work outsourcing, the manufacturing also happens overseas. And so all we do is kind of purchase. And so we call ourselves a service economy where our jobs are service each other, but that really makes us a transportation economy, right? That really makes us a shipment and distribution economy. And, so if truckers 
want to exercise their power, there's a lot of potential there. That's quite a powder keg. Um, so I seriously hope something comes of this. And it's one of the more optimistic stories. Uh, the strikes I've been more optimistic about. Although, of course, there's quite a bit of variables in it. Of, of course, yeah. Um, that being said, is there anything else current events-wise uh, in the last three days that we have not covered? Uh, no, um, we already talked about Boric and, um, you know, that being a good a good victory versus a, a, a Nazi. And, of course... Lots of people are throwing up these goofy, you know, op-eds or comments like, well, well, the, the, the Jews in Chile are worried because of, you know, <laughs> the, the lack of Borges support for Israel. And it's like, do, do you know who his opponent was? Did you miss the Nazi part? Like, fuck off. You know, and, and it shouldn't even have to come to that, obviously. You know, Zionism, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are very different things, right? One is opposition to a settler colonial structure that services the West um, and operates in ethnic cleansing. And, of course, support for uh, opposing it is not inherently anti-Semitic, but supporting it is inherently Islamophobic. The other one is a form of bigotry that led to a major, major, I mean, several pro pogroms over hundreds of years in, in Europe and of course the ultimate genocide we all think of the Holocaust those are very different things um, but even without getting into that part just just the two candidates the other one was a fucking Nazi um, uh, yeah literally like this isn't yeah. hyperbole it's, it's yeah this isn't like he's right wing and I'm calling him a Nazi like his dad his, his granddad was a Nazi officer his dad uh, actually served fascist Pinochet in Chile there and I believe also uh, worked was a Nazi uh, soldier too um, this is an actual Nazi <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah and this is um Again, I, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. So, so the way I was looking at that election, um, and we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but yeah. that one felt a lot like the American election, uh, where you have Trump and Biden. It, and like, obviously you don't want the out and out fascist to win and it's better that he doesn't. But the other, but, but I, I have seen a lot of people comparing this, like it's a continuation of the pink wave and it's really not. I don't. So remember that the pink wave is, is a Western term, right? Even. I'm for, aware. Yeah. It, that's not something that like they use in Latin America, but it's a good Correct. summation. And, and even the first pink wave was, was different. You know, I mean, not everyone was, was involved in the same solidarity and, and, but like, to say, you know, uh, Boris is going to, you know, join Alba or something. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, yeah. I mean, he's not going to throw his weight behind Cuba and Venezuela. Um, but we are talking much more left wing politics within the country. You know, I mean, you want to talk relatives. This is the, the, the great uh, or no, the is it the great grand nephew or just grand nephew like his grandfather's brother was a Yugoslav partisan. Uh, he's open about at least, you know, being against neoliberalism. He actually had a quote that, that neoliberalism, if it yeah. was born in Chile, uh, that Chile will also be at its grave, right? Uh, which, is, yeah. which is a great quote. And of course, you know, you got to remember he's the front man for what a huge movement that they've done where they're overturning the 
Pinochet constitution. And so the presidential election is the smaller part of the political movement there. The bigger part is the change in the constitution and the constitutional convention. And, but so, you know, we're not talking like, like, you know, this is a, some kind of, you know, Luis Arce victory or, or Nicolas Maduro or, or, you know, Daniel Ortega or even, um, um, anything along those lines, right? Or, or even uh, 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 um, Luis Castillo? Um, no, I'm. It's, it's probably closer to Luis Castillo. I'm forgetting her name now. Uh, in Honduras. Um, oh shit! Yeah, I'm out. Castro. Uh, what's her first name? What is her first name? Oh my god, my brain has completely forgotten her first name. Um, hold on. Giamara Castro, that's it, Giamara. Uh, I could not <laughs> land her first name. Um, this is not even like Giamara Castro. You know, this is this is closer to Luis Castillo, and not what we thought Luis Castillo was when he first got elected, but what he, you know, openly seeming like now, right? Something that leans a lot more left, has left-leaning domestic policies, um, or, or something like AMLO in, in Mexico, too. You know, solidarity will kind of come and go strategically with other Latin American countries. This is not going to be, um, you know, a total OAS sheep like like some other you know US backed elected officials will be but this is not someone that like you know Anthony Blinken is going to freak out about and and say election fraud about that's going to build a major solidarity yeah. block and and shift a lot of trade you know within Latin America internally or towards China when they 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 point out of Latin America and and Russia and things like that this is going to be you know more more in line not not big changes but things definitely will lean left uh, more left wing but the biggest the biggest change here of course is uh, Chile's movement to change the constitution away from the Pinochet constitution. Absolutely. And that being our current events roundup for the <sighs> week, let us launch into the work. Uh, we are starting with Kwame Nkrumah's Neo-Imperialism Chapter 7, The Oppenheimer Empire. The king of mining in South Africa, indeed in Africa, is Harry Frederick Oppenheimer. One might almost call him almost call him the king of South Africa, even the emperor with an ever-extending empire. Here is probably hardly a corner of South Africa, Southern Africa's industrial and financial structure in which he has not got a very extended finger of his own or the hook of some affiliate or associate. These fingers and hooks attach the Oppenheimer Empire to firmly to other empires as great or greater. Mr. Harry Frederick Oppenheimer is director, chairman, or president of some 70 companies. These directorships, as well as those held by important colleagues and nominees whose names recur monotonously on the boards of an ever-expanding expanding complex of company boards, give the lie to the fiction of respectable separateness, even when there is no obvious financial connecting link. Dominating this complex of companies are the Anglo-American Corporation of South America Limited and Consolidated Goldfields of South Africa Limited, from which radiate affiliates, subsidiaries, associates, immediately or more tenuously connected, which would prove provide in themselves a most interesting trade, investment, and banking directory. A list of direct interests by no means complete would include... Anglo-American Trust Limited, African and European Investment Co. Limited, Amalgamated Color <laughs> Collieries of South Africa Limited, Bamwato Concessions Limited, Central Mining Finance Limited, 
Consolidated Mind Selection Company Limited, Coronation Coal, Coal, Collieries Limited, holy cow, Consolidated Mines of Southwest Africa Limited, British South African Company Limited, Anglo Transvaal Consolidated Investment Co. Limited, De Beers Consolidated Limited, Free States Development Co. Limited, Middle Witterwastrand Western Areas Limited, uh, and then a bunch more. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've there's, got there's a lot stuff. That's that's stuff we've heard before. You got South African townships, bunch of Rhodesian stuff. Yeah, Johannesburg's in I there. Mean, just just kind of what what you're expecting, right? You know, I mean, uh, you yes. you had you had the beers, you had Rand, you have all of the 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 big English outputs, and all of these places are where this Oppenheimer is is sitting on the board. Yep. Most of these are holding or investment outfits established to coordinate a specific group of activities, but having their fingers in many other pies. It is difficult, almost impossible at times, to distinguish a delimiting line of operation. Trying to unravel the participations of the Anglo-American Corporation and Consolidated Goldfields of South Africa, for instance, leads often to the same involvements. Yet there must be a demarcation line, not only to preserve the semblance of autonomy, but to avoid a duplication of tasks and responsibilities in the interest of industrial and financial economy and profits. As a matter of fact, there is a constant rearrangement of organizational structure, either as a result of the acquisition of new interests and projects, the abandonment of exhausted mines, the expansion of existing companies and alliances, but above all, in order to forestall or meet competition to streamline the structure and to correct the tax position. For instance, in 1961, Consolidated African Goldfields of South Africa Corporation underwent a thoroughgoing reorganization with the intention of concentrating its administration in its various spheres of operation. Reporting to the annual meeting of the corporation's activities for the years, ending June 30th, 1961, the chairman, Sir George Harvey Watt, <coughs> fixed the assets at stock exchange value at a total of approximately 58 million pounds. 66% of this total was represented by interest in South Africa, 10% in North America, 6% in Australia. Most of the remaining 18% was accounted for by interest in the United Kingdom. To supervise these interests in the planned absorption of others, a number of changes were made in the controlling companies so that the group structure of Consolidated Goldfields of South Africa Limited now had the appearance shown in Chart 1. There's a chart. I, it, it's, it's like a flow chart oh, of okay, all these that's different good. companies. My, my copy doesn't even have the chart. And I'm like, wow, this Kindle is starting to just really know me. That it just yeah. skipped, the, <laughs> skipped the damn chart. It's like, yeah, there's, there's charts it's a and couple graphs. paragraphs. It's a couple paragraphs down, so maybe oh, on your next oh, page. Oh, okay, you maybe I'll find. Okay, explaining the structure to the shareholders at the annual general meeting held in London on 13 December 1962, the chairman confirmed that the operational supervision of the group's interest in South Africa was the responsibility of our wholly owned subsidiary Goldfields of South Africa Limited, which is resident in Johannesburg. When in 1959, the group acquired both New Union Goldfields, since renamed Goldfields Finance Limited, and the South African HE Proprietary Limited, their management was also invested in Goldfields of South Africa, although the shares of these companies were held directly by the parent company in London. In Australia, responsibility for administration of the group's operations is exercised by Consolidated Goldfields Australia, PTY, Party Limited maybe, 
I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Uh, limited. Goldfield's principal investment in Australia is H, represented by a majority interest in the Commonwealth Mining Investments Australia Limited, a mining finance company which has a broadly based portfolio in Australian, North American, and other overseas investments, according to the chairman's report. Oh, there's our chart, and it is definitely a flow chart. It's much neater than the charts we usually see today. Very squared off. Um, a majority interest in another Australian concern, Associated Minerals Consolidated Limited, gives Consolidated Goldfields a big break into the rutile and zircon industry. Associated Minerals acquired all outstanding shares of ZR Holdings Limited, a company originally formed to take possession of zircon rutile PTY Limited. Together with that company's share in and advances to other companies. About the same time, Associated Minerals bought the entire share capital of Titanium Materials and the assets of Rye Park Shalit. Experienced enterprises like Consolidated Goldfields do not allow others to benefit from their efforts. So while Associated Minerals was building up its holdings in the rutile industry, stated Consolidated's chairman, we felt it necessary to strengthen our position in Wyong Minerals, another rutile producer in which Commonwealth Mining already had a substantial investment, according to our wholly owned subsidiary, Consolidated Goldfields Australia, PTY Limited made an offer in February 1962 for 50% of all shareholdings and Wyong Minerals other than those held by the Commonwealth Mining Investment. This offer was successful and Wyong Minerals is now a subsidiary within the group. So, I mean, you know, sticking with basically what the flowchart had, right? It had American and Canadian investments broken out of like, you know, mining industries in the UK down to Australian and UK interests. And it breaks down to all these, you know, holdings and, and limiteds and, and all these things. And that's reflected in the paragraphs here, too. You know, this is just a big web of, of power and wealth where everything's kind of a parent company. And even if there's, say, a British parent company, there's investments from four different companies pouring in and out of there. Congratulations are owed to Consolidated Goldfields on their perspicacity. Per- per- yeah, that. Perspicacity. Perspicity. I don't know. I I not good with that word. Whatever the hell it is, I I don't know it. It's not a real word. I, I perspicacity. We have a we have the technology. Yes. Uh, uh. <laughs> it's the quality of having a ready insight into things or shrewdness. There we go. Cool. Uh, their position in the rutile field is now preeminent. In the words of their chairman, the total rutile productive company. Uh, I'm sorry, total rutile productive capacity of our subsidiaries now represents close to one half of the total free world capacity. The expansion program, which is Associated Minerals, now has a hand and should maintain this position. May we now forgive if the qualifications free in this context looks trifle dull to us. <laughs> That's good commentary in Kruma. <laughs> Uh, rutile is a much sought after material used in the manufacture of titanium pigment. The demand had the effect of increasing its open market price by some 50% in the financial year 1961 to 1962. Zircon's prices remained stable in spite of considerably increased supplies. 
a partnership with Cypress Mines Corporation, a New York company, and Utah Construction and Mining Company of San Francisco, has resulted in a joint enterprise named Mount Goldsworthy Mining Associates. Little fucking on the nose there. Oh, good. Mount Goldsworthy. Uh, to explore and work the potential iron ore deposits of the Mount Goldsworthy in northwestern Australia. Oh, that's an actual mountain. That Jesus. Uh, the construction of a 125 mile railway is involved to end up at Dapush Island, where a major seaport is under consideration. Sir George Harvey Watt was so pleased to inform the Consolidated Goldfield shareholders that negotiations are in progress with the Japanese iron and steel industry regarding the market for this ore from Mount Goldsworthy, which is thought to be competitive in price and quality with any now available in Japan. So, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about monopoly here, right? And that makes sense, again, from, from the picture painted in these this paragraphs and talking directly about Oppenheimer here to the flow chart which looks something like the way you would look at you know Nestle and, and all of its subsidiaries and, and things like that you know this is talking about a big web of monopoly and controlling the quote unquote free market against yourselves you know yeah in the chairman's words, the company's operations in Canada have taken a distinct step forward. Their subsidiary exploration company's New Connex Canadian Exploration Limited was joined by a second, New Connex Holding Limited. A decision was made to allow the public to enjoy some of the fruits from the exploration, exploitation of their country's resources by foreign concerns. Accordingly, 36% of the capital was offered to Canadians. Those who took up shares were doubtless delighted to know that the 28.33% holdings of New Connex Canadian Canadian Exploration Limited in the Mount Hunderi Exploration will be turned over to the holding company. A high-grade deposit of lead zinc with some silver discovered in this South Yukon region inspired the chairman to an admission of its being most gratifying that so soon after its formation, New Connex Holdings should be presented by New Connex Exploration with such an encouraging prospect. Moving southwards to the United States, a new company called Goldfields American Corporation was formed in 1961 as a wholly owned subsidiary of Goldfields Mining and Industrial Limited. Goldfields American took over the New York organization set up originally in 1911, whose main function in recent years had been to provide administration for Goldfields Tri-State Zinc Inc. and Buell Engineering Co. Incorporated, as well as secretarial services for the Fresnillo Company. Fresnillo Company was reorganized in 1961 when it transferred 31% of its diverse Mexican activities to Metallurgica Mexicana Penolis S.A. under the Mexican government's drive to have domestic control of its basic primary resources. A handsome compensation of $5.5 million was awarded to Fresnillo, payable over a period of five years, for the secession of this holding to Compañía Fresnillo, uh, in which it holds 49% to Peñoles 51%. Fresnillo still retains a 99% interest in Sombret Mining Company, owning another gold and silver property in the state of Zacatecas. Zacatecas. There you go. Mexico. With the coming to the end of their profitable lives of Tri-State Zinc's two mines in Illinois and Virginia, a replacement was sought by a new mine in the new market area of Tennessee. 
This mine, Tri-State, are bringing into production in accordance with a joint venture agreement with American Zinc, Lead, and Smelting Co. Under this agreement, Tri-State will mine and mill at least 20 million tons of zinc-bearing ores owned by American Zinc near Tri-State's new market property. Profits from the output of a treatment plant designed to provide a daily capacity of 3,600 tons will be distributed on a basis varying between 50 and 60% to Tri-State and 50 to 40% to American Zinc, until all capital has been returned, after which profits will be distributed equally. American Zinc's operations are closely connected with the mining and reduction of zinc and lead ores in several of the American states. It also has a 10% interest in Uranium Reduction Co. and 50% in American Peru Mining Company. Among several other affiliated and jointly owned concerns, Buell Engineering Co., the other beneficiary of Goldfields American Corporation, has been assisted to expand its fabricating facilities by taking over the entire common stock of the Union Boiler and Manufacturing Co., Consolidated Goldfields' interests in the United Kingdom are now grouped under Goldfields Industrial Holdings Limited, formerly HE Proprietary Limited, as a wholly owned subsidiary of Goldfields Mining and Industrial Limited. Its main operations are carried on through its own subsidiaries, Alumsac Limited, Abuco Limited, and Metalion Limited. Alumsac, Almexc is a producer of die-cast aluminum casks, notably for the brewing industry. It has largely expanded into the production of aluminum high-pressure bottles for commercial uses. In 1962, Allmask, in the words of Consolidated's chairman, broadened its interest geographically and industrially by the acquisition of an Australian subsidiary, Lawrence Almsack Holdings <laughs> Limited. And of two United Kingdom subsidiaries, the non-ferrous die-casting company Limited and Brass Pressings London Limited. Already well established in non-ferrous die casting and brass pressing, <laughs> as as that uh, sometimes it's like, oh, this is what this company does, and it's exactly the name. Uh, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Um, but you know, you're starting to see that this is kind of uh, extensive tentacles in all of these industries, right? I mean, we're we're talking about monopoly, and it's touching all over the world. And the difference when it's mining out of the Americas is the capital interests are in the same country instead of being wholly exported. But they're still working in and out of British and American hands. Yeah. Two other UK organizational instruments radiate from London Directorate. These are Anglo-French Exploration Company Limited and Mining and Metallurgical Agency Limited. Anglo-French Exploration, a wholly owned subsidiary of Consolidated Goldfields, is an investment of finance businesses, holding, among others, interests in many of the principal gold mining companies in South Africa. These interests also cover northern Rhodesian copper mines, as well as tin mining companies operating in the United Kingdom, South Africa, and the Far East. Apex Mines Limited and Roydberg Minerals Developed Company Limited of South Africa and Anglo-Burman Tin Company are among its principles. Mining and Metallurgical Agency was formed to look after the distribution of ores and purchase supplies, as well as to run a shipping insurance and general agency business. 50% of its capital is held by Consolidated Goldfields. Sometimes we get so deep into this that until he brings back Consolidated Goldfields, it's like, oh yeah, we're still talking about fucking Oppenheimer because yeah, just uh, you're so far down the rabbit hole and you, it's like, wait a minute, he's still involved. That's right. Like, what's he doing there? Were we just talking about him? Oh yeah, that's the entire goddamn chapter. Uh, Goldfields of South Africa Limited is the wholly owned subsidiary of Consolidated Goldfields, and that responsible for administering the operations of the group throughout the whole of South Africa. These are a monument. 
of a monumental size for investments in South Africa gold and platinum mines remain a major asset of the Consolidated Goldfields Group and its principal source of income. At 30th June 1961, gold mining accounted for 71% of the group's quoted investments, and the chair assured shareholders that since the end of the Second World War, Consolidated Goldfields had invested capital sums approaching £450 million in the South African gold mines. Exploration had continued in South Africa and Rhodesia, and is in close collaboration with Western Witwatersand Areas Limited, a company Consolidated Goldfields floated in 1932. Since then, West Wit- Witwatersand has itself become an important South African finance mining company with major holdings in the gold mines of the far west Rand and Orange Free State. And, I mean, that's that's important, too. You notice we've been talking a lot about South Africa and everything we've talked about that's Oppenheimer is mining, right? And you want to talk about explicit resource extraction, and there's still very much major mining companies throughout Africa now, but that was the whole purpose of the the apartheid structure, right? Was to maintain the gold and diamond and and you know iron, etc. mines in South Africa because of its value. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, West Witwater Sand produced in 1962 gold valued at over 97 million pounds, which was twice the size of its production of 10 years ago. The Harmony Gold Mining Company Limited, in which West Witwater Sand has a holding of one. 0.2 million shares throughout its subsidiary Westwitz Investment Company also achieved a record gold output. Apart from its interest in the Transvaal and Orange Free State gold and platinum mines, Consolidated Goldfields has substantial holdings in Southwest Africa Company Limited and in Rhodesia, in Bancroft Mines Limited, Changa Consolidated Copper Mines Limited, and Rhodesian Anglo American Limited, all falling within the sphere of Anglo American Corporation. In Ghana, Consolidated is interested in Kanogo, or Kanongo Gold Mines Limited, which has concession of approximately 20 square miles of the Ashanti Akim district. On, and we talked about that before. That's a, a major like port district right there. Yes. Um, so on an authorized capital of 675,000 pounds, not fully paid up, 7 million shares of L's. Ones? L's is? I think it's. Yeah. Okay. Uh, each issued out at 13.5 million. Each issue out of 13.5 million. A working profit of 110,000 pounds was achieved in 1960, increased to 130,000 pounds in 1961, despite an advance in working costs from 86S 6D per ton, 88S 2D per ton. I don't know what those numbers mean, but. Nope. We're, we're, means nothing. Yeah, to me. Sure. Cool. Uh, in 1962, Kanango Gold Mines Limited informed the Ghana government that operation of Kanango Gold Mine would become uneconomic after April 1965. Oh, how convenient for them. <laughs> the company were therefore contemplating seizing operations just before that time, just before the full independence of the country, huh? Mm-hmm. Um in the view of the loss of employment this, that this would mean, the government decided to purchase the mine in order to provide continued employment for the Ghanaian employees. After protracted negotiations, a purchase price of £150,000 was paid by the Ghana government, and the mine is now under a management of the state gold mining corporations. Good job, Kwame Nkrumah. Yep! Capitalized at £15 million pounds, 
Consolidated Goldfields made consolidated profits before tax of six million pounds for the year of 1960 to 61, with dividends absorbing 1.7 million pounds. The year of 1962 proved for Consolidated Goldfields the most profitable yet in its operations, resulting in a consolidated profit before tax of seven million pounds. While in the chairman's own words, another satisfactory feature of the accounts is that dividends and interest exceeded five million pounds for the first time. Consolidated Goldfields Incomes comes largely from the specialist services which it provides to companies within its own group and those within associated groups. Varying considerably in size, they number over 100, and the total market capitalization of these quoted stock exchanges exceeded £170 million at the end of the company's working year of 1962. And before I finish this paragraph, that sounds a lot like like Monsanto on farms, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not that they actually like have their hands in the dirt doing the work, It's it, like for sure, but it's also not like they have their hands in the record books and they're just managing the companies, right? They're saying, you're small, you're going to die without us because we can just pull you out of the market, but we're going to offer you our expertise instead and you're going to give us just shit tons of your profits, if not the overwhelming majority. And then you just form a giant conglomerate. And that's exactly what Monsanto does to farms, right? In addition to making sure that farms use their proprietary chemicals. Um, Oh, of course. It is by these means of investment and management that much larger incomes are built up than than from the actual production of mining and processing of raw materials. That is why so many of the more important mining companies, not alone in Africa but throughout the world, have coalesced into holding and investment concerns, behind whom and among whom stand the most important figures of the banking and financial world. Here we have touched only the bare bones of the consolidated goldfield skeletal structure. The flesh and brawn which clothe it are set in layers of rich fat that have created a huge corporation bulge, smugly admired by the owner, but ominous to the lean, starved African observer. And that... And that... Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was that was entirely about Oppenheimer, right? That whole yep. consolidated gold fields is, is, is the main Oppenheimer. And, and yep. you see how it broke into so many different little mining companies, so many raw materials across so many companies... Or across so many countries, so many countries of vested interests were on it, although all of the vested interests come from the imperial core. You know, third world countries were just struggling to, to keep some amount of their profits. Um, some of it was meant to shut down at a very convenient time to prevent Ghana from keeping any of its gold profits, and, and, and Kwame Nkrumah wisely negotiated and kept the mines open. Um, but that's it. It's a major, major, just umbrella conglomerate, and it does it all through investment, right? They, 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 they of course have the expertise to mine. They were a mining company. That's how they made it big. But right now, they're just investing in everything, and they're dominating the market. And then they're quote unquote offering their expertise and quote unquote offering their financial services, and they're basically a big bank. And of course. Bankers sit on the heads, uh, you know, of these corporate boards that sit on the heads of corporate boards of banks because they operate in the same way. Yep. So we're going on to chapter eight, foreign investment in South African mining. 
It has been estimated that over 50% of the foreign capital invested in Africa has been poured into South Africa. British investment pro- probably totally nearly three two twenty eight thousand million, so two point eight billion, and American investments closer to eight hundred and forty million. A nineteen fifty seven government survey of American overseas investment shows the single most profitable area was in the mining and smelting business of South Africa, whose profits are higher than from any comparable investment in the United States. The high profits can be explained largely by the cheapness of African labor. According to the 1962 Statistical Abstract of the United States, U.S. miners earn an average of $2.70 an hour, which is 27 times the amount earned by South African miners. Now, both of those numbers make me sick. Yeah, that's, that's, woo. That's, that fucking The 27 awful. times, the 27 times part fucks me up more. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. That's, that's 10 cents an hour. Just fucking christ yeah um also you remember you remember in the last book where it was like just shut up and keep reading and du bois will will take care of it for you every time we made a comment i feel like this just already in this chapter is already like doing that as a whole chapter to me when i brought up oh remember all the mining in south africa and how important that is (laughs) shut up nakuma's got you that's right Dominant in South Africa's economy is the Anglo-American De Beers Group. Oh, don't we know? Oh, part of the yeah. empire of part of the empire of Harry Oppenheimer, which extends into South Southwest Africa, Zambia, and is linked with mining companies and consolidated gold field, or in sorry, in many other African states. The value of the empire has been enhanced by the discovery that uranium can be produced from the residues and slimes which surround old gold mines. We remember this from last week or two weeks ago when we were talking about slime time. Mm-hmm. Um, which I want to know more about now because it's still seeming weird that I can make uranium out of slime. Extraction of uranium for from gold ores and slimes has brought South Africa into the world's leading place as a producer of uranium. The working of slimes accumulated over the past 60 years, together with those from current gold production, is helping to prolong the life of many exhausted gold mines. In 1956, 8, billion, 8 million pounds of uranium oxide were produced in South Africa, providing exports valued at 39 million pounds. This leaves out of account the quantities that go to the Atomic Energy Board of South Africa, with whom several of the mines have contracts. The profit made from the production of uranium oxide is running ahead of that derived from gold extraction. In fact, the working profits derived from uranium extraction exceeded those derived from gold on the 17 producing mines taken together, and on five of them, they actually offset the working losses incurred in the production of the gold. Isn't that convenient? (gasps) That's nice. Yeah. Harmony Har- Harmony Gold Mining Company Limited is one of the more important <sighs> gold and uranium producing companies within the Anglo-American Consolidated Goldfields maze of interests. It auth- its authorized capital of 5 million pounds has been paid up to the amount of 4.5 million pounds. Secretarial services and offices to the company are provided by Rand Mines Limited, a company that gives executive administration and technical service to the South African companies of the central mining Rand Mines Group. Chairman of Harmony is P.H. Anderson, a deputy chairman of Rand Mines. Other directors in common are Messrs. R.E.M. Blakeway and N.W.S. Lewin. Chairman of Rand Mines is C.W. Engelhard, who is also chairman of the Rand American Investments Party Limited, and has patent and patently has a watching brief for the United States investors who more and more are infiltrating into primary materials extraction in Africa. All of Rand Americans' 2,371,000 issued shares of one pound apiece are held by De Beers Investment Trust Limited, now Randsell, a wholly owned subsidiary of Rand Selection Corporation since the recent rejuggling of the Rand Group. 
Rand American owns nearly all the preference shares and a substantial interest in the issued ordinary shares of Central Mining and Investment Corporation Limited, as well as substantial interest in the issued ordinary capital of Rand Mines Limited. The American link confirms the tie-up forming the Central Mining Rand Mines Group. Consolidated Goldfields and Anglo-American Corporation interests converge in Harmony, in which both have appreciable holdings. By the grace of the South African government, Harmony was able to acquire undermining and mineral rights over some 8,000 acres of land, as well as freehold ownership of farms covering approximately another 10,000 acres. These holdings being rather more than Harmony could cope with, it was found profitable to sell the right to mine precious metals on two portions of its areas on lease until 1967. The right went to another Anglo-American concern, Virginia Orange Free State Gold Mining Limited. Harmony's remuneration for this friendly gesture to a sister company was a minimum three million pound payable quarterly free of interest. Holy cow. Virginia Orange brings us once more into contact with the American marriage in South African mining. Our first example being Mr. C.W. Engelhard, an American Democrat who, as president of Engelhard Industries, refiners of precious metals in the United States, sought after steady supplies to keep his plants working. He found them in South Africa, where he linked up with Oppenheimer and later branched out into baser metals and other fields of profit. Mr. Engelhardt, following Mr. Oppenheimer's inspiration, has also found a niche in the Canadian, Australian, and Colombian mining industries, and distributes his finished goods in Europe through companies established in Paris, Rome, and London. Mr. Engelhardt's qualities, as well as his services to the extension of American interests abroad, are recognized in his membership of the U.S. Foreign Policy Association. With Virginia Orange, we are brought near to more considerable American influence than Mr. Englehart is singly able to produce by the association of the powerful Kencott Copper Corporation. With this gold mining and uranium extracting company, Kennecott has interests in Virginia Orange, which it passed over, together with those it owned in Maripruit, Orange Free State, Gold Mining Co. Limited. <coughs> to the reorganized concern formed in 1961 to acquire those interests. The new company bears the combination title Virginia Marisuprit Investments Party Limited, and the rearrangement will enable it to fulfill an outstanding uranium contract with the Atomic Energy Board of South Africa. Now back to the Atomic Energy Slime. Um, and we're back to we're back to, we're back to we're back to finding out that that Mark Summers is, you know, an evil super genius nuclear man the whole time. Uh, it's there. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Engelhard is a member of the Virginia Marist Pruitt Board by virtue of holding directly bought into it by his Engelhard Industries of South Africa Limited and his connections with Rand Mines Limited, an Anglo-American corporation which, together with another two associates, Centramic South, Amer- South Africa Limited and Anglo-Transvaal Consolidated Investment Company Limited, formed the parties to the new company. So, I mean, again, you know, we're talking about somebody who is a high up in U.S. foreign policy in the government, um, and once again, they are just a straight up capitalist with with vested interest in this stuff financiers and dealers in mining and other uh, other properties in the transvaal anglo transvaal in the transvaal anglo transvaal has a subsidiary anglovaal rhodesian exploration company party limited which operates in northern and southern rhodesia its mineral prospects including coal copper chrome and nickel 
With capital authorized at four million pounds, not fully paid up, Anglo Transvaal is operating on an unsecured short-term loan of one million pounds from the National Finance Corporation of South Africa, a private organization which Anglo-American corporations, friends of the international investment world, are closely associated, including the House of Morgan. So now we get the Morgans back in here. Mm-hmm, they're back. Which has a substantial financial interest in Kennecott Copper. Among Kennecott's extensive mining engagements in Africa is a 90% investment in the Anglo-Vol Rhodesian. Primed by Morgan Friends, Kennecott knows how to take care of its manifold concerns. Hence, as consideration for secession of its interests in the Virginia and Maris Pewitt mines, it is to receive an amount of £3.5 million payable in five annual installments. This does not, however, sever Kennecott's connection with, the, with these valuable Oppenheimer Englehard properties, for the American Copper Corporation will be entitled to an interest of 20% up to a maximum amount of £2.5 million on any of Virginia Maris Prudent's net surplus that may accrue after the installment payments of the cash consideration of £3.5 million have been fully met. This entitlement, however, will be forfeited in the event of Kennecott taking up at a later date from the members of Virginia Maris Budit 20% than the issuer share capital. I feel like I'm reading contract law now. I was about to say, we're getting, all right, all right, Nkrumah, I love you. Uh, come on. Yeah. Spice it up. Yeah, let's go. Um, these are the torturous means by which financial cl- clinches are held. It is obvious that the way is being kept wide open for Kennecott's re-entry into the heart of the company. Meantime, it can still feast at the table. Kennecott is a foremost copper producer in the United States whose shares are on the futures market are valued by knowing operators around $1.48 billion or operators at around $1.48 billion. Even though its present capital of 11 million shares no nominal or par value issued out of 12 million authorized have been given in stated value of only 78 million dollars the possessor of cop so it's it's saying basically they they own 1.48 billion dollars even though they only have 74 million dollars of assets because they're they're betting on futures Uh, The possessor of copper mines, concentrating mills, smelters, refineries, fabricating works, and railroads, railways, it has smelting agreements for much of the ores with America's Smelting and Refining Company, with whom it has two subsidiaries in common. American Smelting is a producer itself of copper, as well as silver, lead, zinc, gold in the United States, Mexico, Canada, and Peru. Its interests extend to Australia and Nicaragua, and it has arrangements with Cyril Corporation, Newmont Mining Corporation, and Phelps Dodge Corporation, all of whom have substantial investments in South African mining projects, including the Sumeb Corporation of Southwest Africa. The Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. The American chemical industry enters the Kennecott field of operations through a joint venture with the important Alhead Chemical and Dye Corporation. The allied Kennecott Titanium Corporation is to produce and sell titanium metal and has put up a pilot plant. A further breakthrough has been made by the acquisition of 25% in Western Phosphates, Inc., 7.3% in the common stock of Molybdenum Corporation yeah, of America, and 50% in the Garfield Chemical and Manufacturing Corporation. Now, why can't they all just... Just be fun cartoon cats. <laughs> I can get those. 
there has been a branching out into mineral exploration in Brazil and Mexico with two subsidiaries, Kenrad Pesquest Minerals SA, 60% Kennecott owned, and CIA Kenemex SA, respectively. Another subsidiary, Braden Copper Co., works as a copper property in Chile. I will say CIA is an abbreviation here, but it just feels too on the nose. Uh, it's, it's, sad. It's, yeah. it's happening. Expansion into Canada uh, is by way of Quebec, Columbium Limited, formed by Kennecott with Molybdenum Corporation of America to investigate a Columbium property near Montreal and Quebec Iron and Titanium Corporation, owned two-thirds by Kennecott and one-third by New Jersey Zinc. <laughs> hey, guys, it's Jersey. We're here. We got zinc. <laughs> this later company is linked up with great oil organization Texaco, Inc., in a joint enterprise Texas Zinc Minerals Corporation for the construction and operation of a uranium processing mill in Utah. A uranium mine in Utah was bought in 1956, and the mill began operations in 1957. Also treating ores from other mines, the uranium concentrate produced is being sold to U.S. to the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission under contract. The New Jersey Kennecott venture in Quebec iron and titanium is going to prove extremely valuable, as titanium is a metal that does not melt at supersonic speed and is accordingly in high demand for use in jet aircraft. Greece also figures in Kennecott's sphere of influence, where its 95% owned Kennebastos mining company works asbestos properties. Uh oh. In West Africa, it has a 76% holding in Tin and Associated Metals Limited, operating a Columbium and Tin property in northern Nigeria. Columbium from its mine from this mine provides most of the world's present production. I like how Arts, uh, again yeah. we just continually there's so many company names it's hard to keep up with. I feel like like one of those old history great man theory history lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just reading this person, this person, this person. But it's all because all of this is just deeply entrenched monopoly, right? And it's like, oh, there's this one company, but also this company happens to own 90% of the shares in this other company that would be competing in its market. So it's not a subsidiary, quote unquote, but they own 90% of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, nothing to see here. Yeah, nothing to see. (laughs) Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, The curtain. (laughs) That being said, uh, that I think is where we're going to end it for this week on Mark's Madness. Uh, Me and David are both coming up. The light at the end of the tunnel is swiftly approaching us as we pray for death. Um, That being said, uh, there are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us regarding the podcast if you so choose one of which is through email you can email us at marksmadnesspod at gmail.com another way you can reach out to us is on twitter we're on the hell site at marksmadnesspod our dms are open uh and if for whatever reason you wanted to join us on a more day-to-day level or just hear you know bang around what's going on with your day or talk to other comrades or just kind of be in a community of people that uh, also listen to this show ostensibly uh you could join our discord server uh, which is the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. Uh, it, the link to that is in our Twitter bio. You can also email us for the link, and we will also send it that way. Uh, that being said, David, it's time for a disclaimer. Yeah, so obviously when we started doing this, Nathan came up to me and was like, hey, I'm reading Capital. That's a book you read with other people. You've read it before. Let's read it together, which was a great idea, but it only left two of us, which is a pretty small uh, reading group. So we decided to record it just in case, and lo and behold, we decided to release it, and now you all are with us. And ever since then, what our vision was, was hopefully you guys are in some kind of reading group, political education group uh, in your party, and whatever reading you're doing, political education 
education you're doing, we're reading it along with you and we're giving you another point of context, another voice of input, tying it back to today, understanding the work, uh, whatever helps you get the most out of it. Uh, let's say you're not doing that because your group's focused on a work that's a little more applicable to a project you're working on now or is it a little bit shorter um, and you're reading this on your own. Hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you that context. We can give you that background. We can give you a, uh, a chance to reflect on it and a person to go back and forth with it to help absorb um, a little better and let's say you're not doing that and let's say it's either a work like this where we're basically reading it word for word except for charts and graphs and graphs and charts um, and making context or um, it's something that we summarize a little more whatever it is that we can do to make the works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions when these works are put into action theory in action is a phenomenon called praxis um, it's theory in action it's the most political action you can take and we certainly want you once you're out there doing it. And definitionally, you can't have theory in action without the theory. So the praxis needs this. And without the praxis, the theory is completely useless. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.